Good. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. We gonna let Peter in now. Uh, Happy welcome Friday. Welcome to office hours, and uh, got the unbelievable Mike Mamula and DMDM David Marino with the beautiful sweater on. How's the cold treating you, boys? Uh, not it's, great. It's <laughs> it's it's a comfortable reminder of why I'm heading south this afternoon. Move <clears throat> move where the sun is. I gotta take more tea here. Uh, moving this time. Yeah, no, it's been detour. it's been unnaturally cold. They're predicting, I think, again this weekend, like eighteen degrees or sixteen degrees or something. Yeah, it's crazy. Mercer left seventy eight degree weather just to go back to East Village uh, in East Antarctica. I guess they call it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It feels like it. It's painfully cold lately. Yeah, you, here's your hat. What's your hurry? Time to move to Florida or California. That's for sure. We've been in the seventies, so. Uh, anyways, uh, you know, we have a new Apple deal. We're starting filming at the Wynn studio here. There's a lot going on with office hours in reflection, you know, where, where we started and how we started. Uh, you ready, Matt? We're bringing Peter. All right, cool. Peter still has no sound, so I'm gonna, let's add Colin if that's okay with All you right, guys. We'll start with Colin Jacobs, my Some dear background friend. background noise going on, too. I don't know what that is. Hey guys, can you hear me okay? Yes. Hey Colin, how are you? I did the sound check uh, in my sleep. Thank you. Ah, thanks for waking up early. Uh, Appreciate you guys. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Colin Jacobs is a real estate team leader, speaker, entrepreneur, um, and you know, as he's diversifying his portfolio, I thought we kind of have you in to give you a little bit of the evolution of an entrepreneur. You know. I, it used to be doctor, lawyer, real estate agent, dentist. You know, I I just had a guy on and he was a Emmy award winning journalist who created now his own platform for high speed video uploads. <laughs> you know, because technology is at our hand and what we can do. Colin, how has your career evolved you know, from traditional real estate into NFTs and a variety of different things in your life that have far more uh, financial opportunity than, than ever before. Yeah. And we just talked about this last week at the win. And uh, thank you for inviting me. It was an awesome experience being with you at Blue Wire and just uh, kind of uh, completing the trajectory of experiences here, uh, going back to when I started in, uh, at Brown and uh, RISD, I, I graduated with a computer graphics degree. So I, I went right into video game design and lo and behold, here we are in the metaverse. <laughs> so, um, you know, with real estate, I think what we're looking at is how uh, the evolution has taken place over the last couple of decades. And that's when I got started. Uh, I left video games, got into real estate, uh, flipping homes. Uh, getting my feet wet in the industry, working with great professionals all over the world. And just one opportunity after another started coming my way. It wasn't necessarily shiny object syndrome. It was more like a stream of consciousness in the uh, spiritual sense. I really kind of go back to what you say, Dave, is, you know, you got to have a lot of fun in this business. And if you're not having fun, get out of it, like Gary Vee says. So um, I just put my uh, sort of that dream hat on and started uh, paving down that path of tech and real estate and bumped into all sorts of great opportunities 
Um, in fact, like with Consortia, for instance, Teresa and I are working on a platform that uh, takes NFTs and uh, we're tokenizing the real estate assets so that uh, we can actually transact and use blockchain effectively to keep truth in our industry, <clears throat> which is uh, something that a lot of brokers have started to realize when it comes to appraisals, whether it's a desktop appraisal and uh, getting away from discrimination and marginalized communities. I'm also part of the uh, diversity and inclusion group uh, of our company uh, revolving around sports entertainment and getting athletes involved and in how they can give back to their community. So it's taken full circle back to uh, what's really important, which is a community and helping a lot of people and having a lot of fun and making money, of course. But that's like the byproduct of everything. <laughs> Colin, that's great. Happy New Year. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, David. So I, I'd like to touch on what you just just talked about a little bit just now. Obviously, I'm sorry, I have a pacifier in my hand because my baby's like five feet away. But <laughs> oh, wow. yeah. obviously, real estate historically has been one of the number one factors in terms of driving wealth and one of the common denominators of holdings of, of wealthy people in America. Uh, there have been a dearth of, of you know, minorities in, in real estate at a high level. Uh, mm -hmm. I appreciate companies like yours for having a DE&I focus, but yes. at, this, at this point, how and why is there a shift towards diversity, equity, and inclusion in real estate? Well, I think that? we've never been closer like we are right now. I mean, with all of the interaction and the social uh, aspects of it and how corporations are really held uh, just for every word that comes out of their mouth, they have to be on top of this. If they're not, then there could be a huge lawsuit. So I think just the shift in the industry has caused a ripple effect in a positive way. And I think also blockchain has kept things very uh, honest and given people an opportunity to really fully express themselves without feeling that the corporate uh, stranglehold is happening on top of them. The entrepreneurs are actually able to spread their wings and flourish right now. So especially in real estate, I mean, this asset class has been old school for so long and now is such a great opportunity for people from all different backgrounds and diversity from all over the world. I mean, we're doing seminars in Dubai and Asia and Africa. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And then the ph philanthropy that comes through those channels, as Dave was saying, we've never been in a time that's building more billionaires. Um, this is the uh, industry that creates that billionaire asset class, yet it's also the technology that gives you the ability to leverage that. So it's really about keeping things fair, the playing field kind of more uh, even keel. So anybody, doesn't matter who you are, if you've got a good idea, you can make it happen. I absolutely agree. Good morning, Colin. With, with regard to NFTs and real estate in particular, it was, you know, as a former or recovering attorney, that was what, what yeah. drew me down the rabbit hole initially uh, when I heard the phrase NFTs and, and started to understand what they were and immediately like authentication, immutability, transfer, but like, whoa, time out. And immediately okay. I thought about real estate, right? Because right now it's clunky. I've done hundreds maybe thousands of mm -hmm. closings through my office. And it's clunky to do a real estate transaction for Dave yes. to buy a property from Dave and to transfer it to Colin and all that stuff. So now the blockchain makes things much more feasible. I agree. And, mm -hmm. and that's fantastic. The one thing I keep coming back to with regard to what you said as to how NFTs apply to real estate, 
is, you know, I question whether land in the natural world will be more valuable in five years or, or land in the virtual world. I, I don't, we don't know at this point. Um, mm -hmm. So I think with that being said, how much of what you're doing or how important is it for traditional real estate companies mm -hmm. to start embracing this technology to mm -hmm. see where we're going with all of this? Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, this is like, <clears throat> if my colleague was here right now, she's, she's a stage speaker for NAR. And uh, she holds the post in technology for internationally speaking on this topic, uh, Teresa Grobecker. But, you know, I mean, I, I want to speak on behalf of what you just said, which is the industry is thirsty for knowledge because we have to adapt. If we don't adapt, then that's when, you know, the attention turns to other groups. I mean, you're seeing it with Zillow, you're seeing it with Amazon. So if you're a CB, Realgy, or another company that's been around for a long time running the franchise system, there's aspects of it that have been super strong for so long, but that foundation is getting challenged. And now we're starting to see the emergence of the progressives and the smaller up-and-comers, which people want to invest in. And billions of dollars are going into these investment funds. So I think we have to start being aware of, of smart like you were talking about contracts and all the transactions you've done, the smart contract aspect of it. And what we can do is just so uh, beyond mind blowing, right? And what we were just doing five years ago, or even like last year, I mean, just what's happened with NFTs is, is outstanding. So we're, you have to stay in, in, in the mix with this because it's just getting really exciting and, and fun. So, uh, and, and I know Dave, you know, he just, just on top of it. And I know you guys, you know, when you have these great entrepreneurs on the show, um, I think this is a particular genre or niche that we really need to kind of slice and dice and understand better. So I'd love to talk more about it because it's just, it's so much fun. <clears throat> and Colin, the reason I, you really wanted you to come on and talk about this kind of stuff is that, you know, there's a lot of people that you, first of all, there's only ignorant people, but there's a lot of people that talk out of their ass uh, you know, on the internet, especially when it comes to real estate. Uh, you know, I have been involved. I probably lost more money in real estate than most people ever dreamed of having. Yep. Um, and here now we have the metaverse. Uh, we have NFTs. And I look for market market makers and margins. I look for things that are related and aligned with timing and risk tolerance. I look at investment versus prospecting. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I try to tell some of my family member and friends when, AMC, you know, supposedly was going to go to 5,000 and now it's at 19, just where I thought it would be. And it'll probably go to 10, just where it belongs, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because the math doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. uh, in NFTs, right, what I have realized is that the fractionalized ownership is a huge value yeah. in the blockchain and the authentic, the authentic, uh, authentication um, yes. and, and the chain of, of, of ownership. Uh, without fees, the democratization of that is incredible. Mm -hmm. And and that will be utilized forever. But real estate's about supply and demand. Um, yes. And the problem with my, that I have in buying virtual real estate is that, you, you know, it takes lifetimes to create a new world. So we can go to Mars right now, but it's <laughs> going to take lifetimes before we can inhabit Mars. Mm. And right. I don't see a ton of people buying real estate on Mars. My problem with the metaverse, in, with all your experience in real estate, is you know I can buy a, a killer piece of property 
today in the virtual world. <laughs> but is there's no guarantee that a year from now there'll be another virtual world. You know, so now there's two virtual worlds and a third one and a fourth one and a fifth one and a sixth one. And I just see so many young people, especially, you know, blind to traditional understanding of market market makers and margins blind. We're going to have a guy on this doing a movie about corruption, you know, in, in specifically some of these real estate deals, you know, I, I want someone like you, a traditional real estate to say, you know, would you invest if I gave you, you know, the most prime property in South Mission Beach uh, mm-hmm. on the metaverse, you know, mm-hmm. would, would, would you buy it today? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is I mean, I think the crux of the argument is traditional versus what's what's uh, trending. Right. And uh, it's it's so easy to buy the swampland uh, potentially, if that's what you haven't done your research, right. It's, it's, I think it's really coming down to the nuts and bolts of the deal and going back to the traditional economics and analysis, as you get into these deals, like you would with any startup or any opportunity that's out there, right. You just have to be practical and have a good team around you. So going back to me, I mean, I've had a couple decades of experience in this industry and I surround myself with the best minds. So we mastermind, together, uh, like I said, uh, my folks and friends in NAR uh, who run the global, as well as the tech startup groups that are affiliated with it through NAR Reach that are the uh, incubator for some of the like docu-signs of the world. So these are really uh, <clears throat> up and coming in our industry. So I think what we need to do is be smart I think we need to uh, have surround ourselves with great people. Like you always say, Dave, it's like, you know, it's just the old uh, saying, like it's, it's just about doing your old school due diligence with anything because you can't just take somebody's word for it on clubhouse. That's for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> and too many people do. Well, I certainly appreciate you. And uh, you know, NFTs are going to be huge. I'm looking at buying a $200 million high rise that I never could have bought before but for NFTs, but here on earth. And, uh, you know, I understand fully the supply and demand of a high rise in downtown San Diego comparatively to multiverses. Uh, just watch Spider-Man and start getting really confused. If you can't keep one Spider-Man straight, how are you going to keep your real estate straight? But uh, you are a leader in the space. Thank you so much for transcending the traditional into the future and being such a mentor and great leader. We'll have you back on Check them out, colin.zencard.me. Anything else or anywhere else uh, you want to add before we um, Well, yeah, and also you can find me on colin.linkzen, uh, which is through our TrackZen uh, group. So colin.linkzen.me, and you'll get my direct sell. Let's have a conversation. I want to help as many people as possible so we can be prosperous in the future. And you have helped so many already, I know, in the Thanks, af- athlete sphere as well. So thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You got it, my friend. Thank you you again. Take care. All right. I think our technological geniuses have brought Peter on board. There he is, Peter Antico. Welcome to Office Hours. How are you? Yeah, excellent. How are you guys doing this morning? Perfect. We got you up early. Are you on the West Coast by chance? Yeah, I'm on the West Coast. You you have it in your voice. We apologize, but these New Yorkers make me do this early. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) uh, Peter's an extraordinary producer, director, actor, um, but he has a film uh, that I really, really am interested in. 
the paradigm of money. Um, Peter, money's a currency. Uh, to me, it's an object of energy, uh, object of energy that we put into the flow to get what we want, which means that object of energy can take on a, any meaning that we want it to have. And your new documentary really exposes the meaning of money and where people have oversold it, back end sold it, lied to it, manipulated and cheated it. Uh, and, you know, to bring this awareness up, what was your inspiration? Uh, because so many people just ignore what's going on, especially with money uh, in the world. Yeah, first of all, you can say, you know, you know currencies, consciousness or electricity, money in this world is called fiat, it's paper. It's only backed by the good faith of the U.S. government, um, which basically is bankrupt. Uh, because they run a Ponzi scheme. What happens is, remember they said, oh, um, the president recently say, stated that he pays his debts. They raised the debt ceiling. They voted on it. So, I mean, they, they I don't think they've ever, you know, defaulted on the debt ceiling. They keep raising it. And what they do is they raise the debt ceiling. Then they borrow money, you know, to pay that debt. Then when the, when a debt ceiling comes due again, they raise it again. They, then they borrow money to pay that debt. It's a virtual Ponzi scheme. That they're doing it just uh, uh, devalues currency. It's like the M2 money supply is up 35% in the last 16 months. They're they're basically uh, burning the dollar to the ground. The Federal Reserve increased its balance sheet $4.4 trillion in the last 24 months, which is more money than they put on their balance sheet since the existence of the Fed and since 1913. Since 1913 to 221, the interest rates have been in between 1% and 21%. The U.S. dollar has been depreciated 97 and 98%. So if you really want to, uh, uh, you know, look at you know, our system, the Federal Reserve has failed at every job that the government has given them. And the only uh, legislative branch that's allowed to coin money that is the Congress. And they're not doing a very good job of it. They, get, they coined it off on the, to the Federal Reserve Act in 1913. And they've had control of our, our system ever since. That's why Bitcoin has been so popular, because it's a only decentralized system that it's only it's an, the only decentralized true decentralized blockchain in, in existence with ultimate scarcity could you imagine if our money supply was finite see that we keep printing money it's not finite and it used to be backed by gold until nixon took us off the gold window in 1971. so if you have something like bitcoin here that uh, that is finite uh, then you have ultimate scarcity could you imagine if the dollar supply, the U.S. dollar supply, was capped, done? Then you could actually, you know, you know, create some value because everything is is purchasing power, and the the U.S. dollar's purchasing power went down 11 percent last year. So if you had a thousand dollars in the bank and you left it there, you only had 890 dollars worth of purchasing power at the end of the year. And so the average person or anyone living on a fixed income is getting their uh, wealth confiscated by inflation. It's really theft. So uh, the reason for this film, myself and uh, Oliver Stone's son, Sean, um, I've been in the market since about 2003 with a, a pretty big um, expertise in commodities market. And the central bankers own about 98% of the gold in the world. And I don't believe gold will ever go away. I think it has esoteric value. It's got intrinsic value. And, you know, the bottom line is it, you can't fight the Fed. There's an old saying, they own all the gold. And less than 2% of the population of the planet own gold, which has intrinsic value. Um, and then the, the argument for Bitcoin is like, you know, it reached a trillion dollar market cap faster than Facebook, Apple, 
Google and Amazon. So that's market, the market telling you uh, or sending you a message. But, you know, I think they're, they're, they're both going to be in existence. And um, I, I think uh, the gold market has been suppressed. Uh, there's been lots of fraud in the marketplace. I mean, the, you know, in 2008, during the housing crisis, Goldman Sachs was shorting the housing market as they were selling it long to their clients. They got fined about a half a billion dollars, and I think they made over $1.5 billion in profit. Um, JP Morgan was got spoofing the gold and silver market from 2.8 to 2.16. They got a $992 um, million dollar fine, but they made billions of dollars on that trade. But how did they pay for the fine? They were spoofing the gold and silver market. So, I mean, there's a massive amount of frauds, but one of the biggest frauds is basically insider trading, like you see GameStop or in the meme stocks, AMC, you spoke about a little bit with your guest. So when you have, you know, GameStop, you know, and they had a Robinhood app, I don't care if you traded on Schwab or Fidelity, but let's take Robinhood. Then you have a market maker, Citadel. Citadel, uh, the market maker, executes the trades and they pay for something called order flow. So they paid Robinhood a little bit over $140 million for order flow. So they get the exclusive uh, you know, buys and sells uh, for certain stocks uh, on Robinhood. So if they know the buys, the sells, the shorts, the long, the derivatives in the option market and the volume on a second to second basis, they can front run the market and make hundreds of millions of dollars using uh, paid for information. And, it, and if they front run the market and, and use that information, that's illegal. That's against the law. Uh, that's insider trading. And then and, and then in the deal of naked shorting, you can only borrow as many shares as are, are as in existence. So if a float of the stock is a is 100 million and someone's, you know, selling 40 million, you know, short, it's 140 million shares. You're borrowing more than the shares that exist. That's called naked shorting. You can't borrow the shares. And and that's illegal. But the SEC usually sits on its hands like in 2008. They were caught watching porn, you know, four hours a day. I mean, the regulators are captured. Um, the the gold and silver markets are are have been rigged in the London Bullion Metal Exchange, you know, for years. Sometimes they sell one gold and silver contract at a hundred to one. That's like me having a uh, a car title, Xerox it a hundred times, uh, sell it to uh, ninety nine other people cash, and I, I only have one call, one car. It's basically uh, counterfeiting or stealing. And that's what naked shorting is in a, in a, in a nutshell. But it seems that, uh, there's no, uh, rule of law for the ruling class. It, it, it seems it's a, it's a really inside track and an inside game. So if you're, if you're within this inner circle of the global financial system, there's like one set of rules for the people on wall street and another set of rules for the people on main street. Peter, let me interrupt you just for a second, because all of that is fascinating and appreciate you for doing the research on these uh, global financial systems. The easy and obvious question here is, in your opinion, based on your research, what's the solution? Well, the solution, you, you, respectfully, you, you have to audit the Federal Reserve A. You have to create a, a, sound, a sound money because if you keep printing, if you keep printing it, you got to get off ultra low artificially low interest rates because artificially low interest rates cause asset inflation because it takes more dollars to buy the same amount of goods and services. So the, these artificially low interest rates also allow the Federal Reserve to buy our, they, they can borrow money at a discount 
because I think the 10 year bond, which is the benchmark is trading around, I don't know, 185. And the Fed just came out with an interest rate or the inflation rate of about 7%. So if you should track 185, you know, from 7%, you're running, eh, you know, a little over 5% real negative interest rates. So running at real negative interest rates is a huge risk uh, in the marketplace because the, the pension funds or the public pension funds, which are a $5 trillion industry, uh, uh, how that works is that they need to make 7% to survive. They, their metric is 9% in equities and, and sorry, 9% uh, in equities and 5% in fixed income. You're, with, with fixed income trading at negative 5%, and those actuaries that run the pension funds being so conservative, mostly invested in fixed income, they'll never make that metric. So there's massive amounts of unfunded liabilities in, in the pensions. So you, you have to get off of life support system of the Federal Reserve System. I mean, Greenspan never let the market uh, uh, reset. He, he, instead of, you know, lowering interest rates, I mean, he, he shouldn't have done that. He should have uh, stood pat and we would have had a little recession for nine months or a year and the dollar would have kept strong. But once you go on that life support of the heroin of unlimited money printing, um, where they're trying to solve the problem of overspending and overlending with more of the, of the same, more overlending and overspending, which is a definition of insanity that it never works. And then exponentially you keep increasing the balance sheet. We're close to $30 trillion worth of, of debt in the world. And that's not counting the derivatives. So, you know, they need the, you know, they really need people that, uh, that understand finance and the, the, you know, the Fed people are very bright, but they're academics and PhDs that don't know where the murmur beats the road. They don't understand how businesses work in America. And the sad part about it is that there's been the two biggest wealth transfers in history has been 2008 and the housing crisis and then the COVID crisis in, in March of 2020 from the middle class to the 1%, you know, you know, Google, Facebook, Apple, all those companies, Zoom, made millions and millions of dollars when they forced Americans to stay home. They closed hundreds of thousands of small businesses, which they didn't need to do. There was no science behind that. And they've uh, proven that. They bankrupted them. And then what did they give the middle class? People that made 10 to 20,000 a month, they gave them four, four grand. They gave them their, their stipend plus their max unemployment. So if you got kids, a couple of cars, insurance, food, energy, and a mortgage payment, uh, you're upside down. After nine months of that, you're upside down. If you can't pay it back, what's going to happen now? They took the moratorium off. A lot of people are going to lose their houses. P Peter, once in a while, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, once in a while, we have a guest come on who just literally shocks me with how much they resonate with how I think and feel. And, and first of all, you're that person and congratulations on the movie. I have a feeling it's going to be one of my new favorite movies. I can't wait to see it. Uh, and I salute you for having the not only interest in doing this, but the courage to do it because you're speaking out, right? You're, and you're helping educate people with something they need education on. We know nothing about money. We don't learn about money in schools, period. We don't. And if you're fortunate enough to grow up in a home with people who have money, then you learn something. Otherwise, you come out of high school or college knowing trigonometry and calculus, but you don't know that like this isn't money, right? This is currency. What is money? Where do I buy gold and silver? How do I, what's the ratio and all of those things? Everything that you said is so valuable and so important. I hope our listeners go back and listen to this again. I hope they watch your movie. I hope they share your movie. There is one rule that you talked about, and it's the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. And we know who has the gold. You said it. 
Um, and so now I think to answer a bit more on Moreno's question, it's exactly what you're doing. Education. Like I went down the uh, J. Edward Griffin, the creature from Jekyll Island rabbit hole years ago, and I never came back. That's what led me to crypto. That's what led me down that rabbit hole and into NFTs, decentralization, DeFi and everything. And I try my best to help educate people. What else is there that we can do that you can point us to in addition to the movie to learn more about you, learn more about the things that you've studied that, that have helped to give you this such an incredible foundation and education with something that's so important? I mean, sure. I mean, the the people I, I, I studied Tao theory letters under Richard Russell and he passed away. I mean, Richard Russell used to say, like right now, all the Fed can do now is inflate or die, you know, and um, the market can remain. Uh, irrational more than longer than you can remain solvent and and people have to understand there's a something called counterparty risk if you own physical gold or you own bitcoin there's no counterparty risk if you own it if you actually have it the bitcoin in your wallet cold storage wallet or if you have gold physical gold in a private vault um because then if you if you have it in a company anywhere around the world if they nationalize the government nationalizes a mine if something happens if there's a war you can, you know, lose your assets. So you, you really have to study, you know, the, the geopolitical risks about where you invest or where the companies that you do invest in the world. Um, the things with, with uh, cryptography or with Bitcoin, you can pull your, your, your digital asset and put it in a cold storage wallet and it's, co you know, completely protected. No, and there's no counterparty risk. It's, it's like having your own central bank and the more the price goes up, you can use that to borrow against. But um, I recommend Ray Dalio. I like reading, you know, books by Ray Dalio. I, Creature from Jekyll Island is a, you know, is a is a phenomenal book. I mean, that if you want to study it, I, I'm an advocate of putting a curriculum together in the school system because there is yes. no financial literacy. It's Absolutely. something that needs to be done. And look, the best asset in the world, in my opinion, is is real estate. The more wealth has been created, the Vatican owns the most real estate in the world. Yeah. But the bottom line is that this tax free, the World Economic Forum, when they said in 2016 they made a video, "You own nothing and be happy." But if 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 we'll own it, nothing and be happy, and they own everything, then it becomes it takes a nefarious, you know, uh, negative twist. Because what protects people is their own, you know, personal wealth. And, and in regards to real estate and the blockchain, you know, what use are you going to have for a title company if you have a blockchain? You won't need one. Right. A lot of people are going to get put out of business mm -hmm. uh, when you really think about it, how the blockchain, we, we can talk about, hey, that's, this is great. But a lot of people that earn money in these professions for a long time, you know, who are very good at it are going to get, you know, shuffled out. I mean, they want to, I believe create more responsibility for the buyer now and take the onus off, you know, some of the, the lenders and the brokers, they're going to make it more difficult to buy real estate. I already can see it happening, you know, coming down the pipe in the future. Yeah. And obviously right now our real estate market's been inflated 30% in the last 24 months. It's, you know, you could use it as a cash cow if, you know, if you, if, if you're bright, but um, I think, I think you have to learn how to invest money, in any kind of asset that has intrinsic value yeah. that beats the rate of inflation. And there's not mm -hmm. much uh, of that around. You're not going to do it in fixed income that, you know, if the, if the federal reserve is, they used to be buying $120 billion of, of bonds, 40 billion in the, in the mortgage backed securities and um, 80 in uh, 
treasuries. So they're buying their own, they're buying, you know, like 60 or 70% of their own treasuries. No one wants to buy that asset. The, the Fed funds rate is zero to 0 0.25. You're buying, so and, and we're trading at real negative rent. Why would someone want to buy an asset that, that's trading uh, about negative five? You're, you're losing money buying the asset. It's not an asset, it's a detriment. Yeah. So this, we need more education. Is rich dad, poor dad, liabilities versus assets, right? Robert Kiyosaki. Robert's a and good Sharon friend Lecter. of mine and Sharon Lecter. Uh, Peter, we're going to have to have you back. You know, yeah. I just appreciate the fact that, you know, as long as most people can look at things, I'm an optimist. So I find people in movies, documentaries like the paradigm of money film.com. Check it out. The paradigm of money as being positive in the respect that it allows us, if we know and are literate to find the light, the love and the lessons so that everyone can make more money uh, if they learn. And, you know, I've partnered with Marshall Falk and I for years now with the financial literacy program based off of these ideas of market market makers and margins that exist. And it's just math, you know, and it, it's amazing if you ask somebody to quantitatively articulate the value of what they're talking about in mathematical terms, as you have today, then you have credible information that you can utilize to make more money, help more people and have more fun. That's what this documentary is intended to do. The paradigm of money, the great Peter Antico, thank you for joining us on Office Hours. Man, my thank pleasure. You, thank you. Great Good job. Morning. Blessings. Thank you. Thank we could you. have had you for hours. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Man, he's a wealth of knowledge. Let me be important what? knowledge. I mean, God, the stuff yeah. we don't learn. Yeah. yeah. Sounds a lot like conversations I've had with you over the years, Mike. Yes. <laughs> I'll never forget the conversation we had on the plane heading out and talking about, you know, precious metals versus money versus currency. Yeah. I wish people would apply the same thing to like the vaccine, Dave. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it's amazing. Me too. Yeah. Um, Ron, come on down. You're the next contestant on Office Hours, Ron Benegby. He is here, the founder and CEO of Uplink. Um, and you know, Uplink is a new fintech startup, and obviously, fintech is as well growing and expanding. And you know, what led you uh, into fintech number one and to create this extraordinary startup? Yeah. Hey. Good morning to good. Uh, to all of you. Um, well, morning. let me tell tell you what Uplink is. What we're doing is Please. we're we're uh, launching the first global credit assessment platform for small business lenders. So as a bit of a background, I'm an immigrant. My family came to Canada in the early 70s and we were dirt poor. My dad went, he baked bread at night to put food on the table and he went to a bank in 1973. And I know, by the way, that's hard to believe because I look so young. So I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> and he asked them for a small business loan to which the banker said to him, you know, Mr. Benagby, you really don't fall within the criteria of how we as a bank lend to small business. However, I believe in people. And here's $5,000. And my dad was able to take that $5,000 in 1973 and start a small business, which then became a medium-sized business. And my mom followed suit a year later um, and started her own small business. So for me, I've grown up in a small business family, personally. My professional successes and my failures have come as a small business owner. And so, you know, what's happened in this world the last couple of years to all of us and the impact 
and the devastation it's had on small business for me has been heartbreaking. Small business has always been an underserved segment to begin with, but now with the impact COVID's had and the shuttering of businesses and the ability for a small business owner to get credit, most of whom are minority immigrants like myself, like my parents, um, you know, there's a real purpose behind our business. So while we don't lend money to small businesses, I want to be clear, if we can help small business lenders better understand the risk profile and credit worthiness of a small business owner, we would, uh, we'll, we'll hit our goal. So that's Uplink. Ron, very, quick. very yeah, one second, Dave, because I think there's an interesting point here that I've always, you know, s such a high percentage of small businesses fail. And the reason they fail is they run out of money. Um, and we've seen and I've seen in the Silicon Valley on Sand Hill Road, companies succeed only because they got so much money they couldn't fail, meaning they had enough capital as long as they were rational about the distribution of funds that eventually they you know, would figure out what their business really was. Uh, and I forget which great CEO I had on, but one, one of the big ones, I think the founder of, of Netflix uh, said, every startup starts up with a bad idea and you just need enough money to make it a good idea. That's great. And so I think, you know, <laughs> yeah. for, for those that are sitting there going, why would anybody lend money to a small business when such a high percentage of them fail? A high percentage of them fail is because they're not adequately funded. And that we would only create an abundance of capital by, you know, giving the right criteria, betting on the right jockeys and the right business models in order to effectuate that success. Sorry, Dave, go ahead. No, you're good. You're good. Um, Ron, good morning. morning. Uh, so obviously looking at traditional data like uh, accounting and credit scores is the way that we've done it for decades and, you know, better part of a century. What data... Uh, do you think is relevant in, in evaluating the, the credit worthiness of a small business and, and what's the kind of outside approach that you guys have implemented that we should, we should all embrace? Oh man, that's a, that's an awesome question. So, um, I knew so, that was coming. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's a great question. So, you know, traditionally to your point, a lender would look at historical data, three years financials, they would incorporate a credit score, the FICO score, and then they would make a lending decision uh, based on that information. Well, let's look at, first of all, what COVID has done. The majority of small businesses today globally, their DNA profile has actually shifted. Most are micro SMBs. So meaning, I mean, there's different definitions of micro depending on who you ask, and I've heard different, so I, I take a middle-of-the-ground approach, but it's, it's five or less employees. A two-person small business operates completely different than a 20-person small business, yet a lender takes a one-size-fits-all approach. A FICO score takes a one-size-fits-all approach in terms of how it scores. So if you're a restaurant in Manhattan versus a plumbing provider shop in St. Louis versus an agricultural and farming in, you know, Southern California. Those are all differently inherent small businesses, yet we're all looking at them within the same lens. So can you really, can we really believe 
that these small businesses maintain accurate accounting information. And accounting information is self-reported. It's self-assessed. The FICO score, their models in terms of how they look at small, they haven't changed since the early 1800s, the dawn of time. Yet we're saying, lenders are saying, hey, we're going to take this information as the foundation of truth. So David, to answer your question, a business, every business is unique, just like every human being. And we're surrounded by different things within our community. And what we do at Uplink is we look at all of these different environmental factors around the business that actually have an impact on the business. So if there's a trade war with China, well, that would have an impact on certain businesses here. But FICO wouldn't look at that. If there is, we look at things like traffic patterns. We look at things like currency markets, real estate markets. We look at anything that can impact the business, microeconomic sources, macroeconomic demographics, so population trends. And then we create this picture that's more accurate. We still utilize traditional data. Not say, we're not saying to discard it, but we try to look at it from an entire holistic view and ultimately present a recommendation to a lender as to what the financial health of that business really is. So, Ron, with that being said, and good morning, is there something that I, as a small business owner, can do to increase my creditworthiness aside and apart from my score or anything else so that when I come to you or when, when I speak to lenders, they're more likely to uh, give me the loan that I need? That's the first part of what I wanted to know. And the second part is, are there specific things in either AI or machine learning that are going to help us do this more effectively? Because creditworthiness based on a credit score is one thing, but again, it's kind of, it's old fashioned. There, there are other things now where we can, because, you know, accounting is self-reported, perhaps use technology for POS systems and things to see volume of trade that over the number last number of weeks or months or years, something's increased so that there's a stronger likelihood of success. So with regard to those two things, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I mean, those are great questions. So certainly from the small business side, we don't interact directly with small business. So let's just look at it holistically. As a small business owner, what can I do when I go into a bank to make me more appealing to the banker? Yeah. So certainly, do I pay my bills on time? Do I maintain good personal credit as well as business credit? Because a lot of these small businesses today are one or two men or women shops. Why has Shopify's revenues tripled literally since the right. pandemic? Are they, are they that much smarter? They're not. It's just people have you know, been impacted and they've set up a Shopify store in 10 minutes and all of a sudden they're bringing an in income. So I, you know, I would tell you from that regard, um, it's you know, do the right things that you know, keep your business going, pay your bills on time. You know, um, be good with your cash. But but, you know, I think you guys talked about it earlier. Um, you know, financial literacy in any country is really, really weak. And, you know, we don't grow up understanding how to run a business. And what you're doing is you're actually seeing a lot of fintechs out there today who are trying to address that problem, not uplink, but at the root like when they're really, really young and um, trying to build educational programs. So hopefully you'll start seeing the impacts uh, on that over time. Mm. In terms of, you know, what is AI going to do to basically 
just remind me on the question again, Mike, was it? Yeah, with yeah. regard to AI or machine learning, helping yeah. us enhance the ability that we assess the creditworthiness of a person. You know, because we can look at different things. Now, we can look at everything that a company is doing or not doing and determine, hey, they're likely to do better or likely to do worse based on all of these things rather than just a credit score, for example. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, uh, there's there's such a, an excitement and buzz over the terms AI and ML and, you know, it's the all end and be all. So, you know, with, with Uplink, if I just take take a step back, what we did was we actually took a platform that had been in market for 15 years and we repurposed it. So I wouldn't tell you that it's because we have the best AI in the world that we've got these, you know, wonderful algorithms that are true and tested. No, it's because this platform has been in market for 15 years. It has built proprietary models that have then been inputted into the likes of Chase, Wells, City, and some of the smallest banks in the world. And then these models have been scientifically validated, tested, and approved by local banking regulators. Because as we know, banks, uh, banking is highly regulated in just about every country in the world. So over time, we've been able to show that this works in this specific market condition in in the context of this so we've been able to take that learning and apply it to data that we're uh we're getting in today in order to build uh more accurate assessments of credit worthiness so you know that's how i would answer that question great um it, it it comes from a lot of lessons learned and a lot of science and validation behind it and you know, we'll, I'll show you one of these validation studies. My co-founder, who's one of the elite mathematical and economical minds in this country, he, you know, I'm I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I'm not stupid. And if I understand one percent of what this is on this piece of paper, it's like, oh my god, it's it's a level of mathematics and science I've never seen before, and so much so, um, Patrick's work is actually being used within the US Fed Reserve today. They actually called them a year ago. They had a problem, he fixed it for them. So, you know, I've got great people behind me, a lot smarter than me, who are building these things out. Congratulations. Well, this is your fifth startup, which is a criteria that- <laughs> And uh, last, and last startup. Yeah, well, we'll see, we'll see, I've said that before. We're fifth startup, and that's a criteria that I look for because desire absolutely uh, is something to invest in, something that must be what they can be will take a bad idea and make it a good one to take a bad business idea and make it a good one takes that type of desire, uh, even more, you know, the skills and the knowledge that you have, that can be your basement. So you can mitigate risk by assessing the skills and knowledge of a small business, especially as a micro small business, but it's so hard to you really assess, uh, an entrepreneur, a small business owner, if they have what it takes, which is the desire that they must be what they can be. You certainly do. And Uplink seems to at least adhere to more of that criteria of personality like your mom and dad were blessed to have from a, a bank way back when. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for supporting small businesses. As you heard from previous conversations, we need to save our small businesses, especially after the last 24 months. Uh, and it looks like the road is going to be steeper moving forward. Uh, Ron, we appreciate you. Come back and visit us soon, okay? Thanks. Thanks for your time.
Enjoy. You got Thank it. Uplink.co. Check out Ron in Uplink. U-P-L-I-N-Q. Uh, cleverly enough. And uh, the North American FinTech startup seems to be in the right place at the right time. So, all right, gentlemen, we have training at 7 a.m. now because the number one show on Clubhouse, The Breakfast of Champions, uh, wanted me to aggregate a little bit more of the West Coast involved. Uh, I don't know why people don't get up at three or four in the morning so they can hang out with Dave <laughs> Reno and Mike Mamola. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, so join us today. We're going to have the 12 Lessons of Life, one of my favorite trainings that I give, written thousands and thousands of years ago before writing was even available. But these are the guideposts that I live uh, my life in productivity, accessibility, and gratitude. Uh, who wants to go first on their takeaways of the day? I'll go first. Uh, go ahead, Dave. Go ahead, Mike. Let Mike go. go ahead. For me, it was um, the importance of investing. And investing in the sense of the way Peter spoke about it, you know, traditional investing, you'll never outsave inflation. You have to invest, you have to do the right things with your money. And how Colin mentioned with regard to real estate, whether it's virtual or uh, in the natural world, the importance of doing those things and how Ron talked about investing in your business and yourself. And when I mentioned the importance of investing, I'm not just talking about money, talking about the more valuable asset or commodity, which is time how you invest your time and, and take a good look at that because that's going to determine your true returns. Great. It's always hard to follow Mike, which is why I try to jump and go first. <laughs> uh, my, mine is two, two part. Uh, the first, as it pertains to today's office hours, I think the consistent theme is, is obviously education. Education is key, whether it's real estate, learning about money or, you know, learning about what factors lenders uh, are looking at when they are lending money to small businesses. The more information you have, the more, credibility you have and, and the more you'll be successful the second one and my buddy david here is super duper humble and i'm sure glenn lundy is going to have and excuse me for not remembering this guy's name he's probably going to have this guy sing to you today uh over clubhouse but happy birthday david and, and my takeaway today for for friends and birthdays is birthdays come around once a year but friends like dave Meltzer and mike momola come around once a lifetime uh very kind uh i actually like going last uh, and I find it easier to follow because I can play off of your genius. So you uh, instill the genius and then I just play off of it. My takeaway for the day is ignorant arrogance. You know, you, you look at people who come in here uh, and they have a lot of data. You know, and today, Colin, who's a dear friend, by the way, uh, you know, Peter and of course, Ron, Incredible entrepreneurs, incredible scholars, in incredible businesses. But we definitely don't want to cross over into ignorant arrogance. Uh, and I love the humility, uh, as you suggest, Dave, because an ignorant, humble person, you know, I'll give you an example just using uh, uh, our, our friend Peter. Mathematically, what he says, and he has done more due diligence than anyone, the, the problem with saying you shouldn't save money because you can't outrace inflation isn't true. And let me tell you why. Because during times historically of inflation, you have a greater possibility of making more money if you have the right skills, knowledge, and desire, which is where Ron comes in to support that. And, and what do I mean by that? That what you don't want to do is lose your money. And take it from someone who lost over $100 million dollars I'm not afraid of inflation. I, I always will have at least $2 million 
in savings that are losing money against inflation. Because with that money, as Ron is on here, the power of capitalization, with that money, I will outpace. I will, because of inflation, I will make so much more money. Because remember, you cost more too. So salaries go up. All the, A true entrepreneur will always save money, even if it, it makes zero. Even if it makes zero and inflation 7% or 20%, I welcome inflation. And I do not want people to think that there is some ignorant, arrogant fact that saving money is going to outpace. That, that's just not true. It's not mm-hmm. true. And the yeah. biggest takeaway to, for today is ignorant humility that none of us, including me, knows what we know. One little thing could happen tomorrow. One little thing could happen tomorrow and the whole paradigm will shift. So I want people to focus in on the ability to enhance or develop their own skills in the conscious, subconscious, and quantum, their own knowledge by asking all types of people about all types of things. Yeah. What, no, and, th- and this is what I made comment of the vaccine was nobody knows. Yeah. So, so no, nobody knows. I, so wh- why waste your time other than developing skills, knowledge, and desire and let it align with your values, but stop creating interference um, with what we're doing. We're wasting time, money, emotion, and value. So I'm here as a takeaway to promote ignorant humility uh, and no offense to anybody here, including me or those that visit, because the more we hear other people's opinions and that's all they are, whether it's Mike's opinion, Dave's opinion, or my opinion, or any of our great guests' opinion, you got to make up your own mind. And you're not going to make up your own mind if you don't have skills, knowledge, and desire. So uh, utilize ignorant humility, not it, it, uh, ignorant arrogance. I love the fact that I don't have to rush off here anymore to get to my 6 a.m. <laughs> breakfast of champions. I got a whole hour to make lunches, make breakfast, brush my teeth, whatever I want to do. Uh, so... I've already got my workout in. I want to say thank you, uh, David and Mikey, uh, for especially the birthday wishes you guys have given me and all of our tremendous guests. Check them out. Uh, There's a lot to learn. Peter, Colin, and of course, Ron, we appreciate you. Uh, Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. See you in an hour. Later, guys. Right on. All right, everyone. We got training in one hour from now at 7 a.m. Pacific time. It's everywhere. We got over 60,000 people signed up. I've been doing this for over 22 years. Free trainings on Fridays. Come and join me. Today's trainings are the lessons of life. Can't get any simpler simpler than that. Uh, Join me on Breakfast of Champions, on Clubhouse, on Instagram Live, on TikTok. uh, And of course, on our webinar with over 60,000 people registered today. Matt. I appreciate you, even though that Cowboys hat is just awful. Uh, Most importantly, everyone, remember, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. Reach out to me, david at dmeltzer.com. Thanks so much.